0: Proverbs chapter 24 the book of wisdom the book of wisdom chapter 24 verse 3 and I want to continue in the series on desperate households today and today I'm talking about desperate husbands desperate men I'm gonna tell you what I mean by that in just a minute how many of you guys came with your steel-toed boots on because I'm going to step on some toes. (laughs) It's really not so bad. You know, there was a lot of tension built up over nothing, because all the men came up to me after the first service and said, that wasn't so bad. That wasn't so bad. But I'm going to talk about desperate husbands, desperate men. We're going to talk about the family today. And I want to take you back to some passages that I read last week. The Bible says in verse 3, Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. And by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Now I want you to say those three key words with me, would you? Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Let's try it again. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Now sometimes, often the Bible will deal in trilogies or or sets of threes. You'll notice in the New Testament, there's another trilogy or set, set of three words that are repeated in most of the beginning of Paul's letters. He says, grace, mercy, and peace be to you. Grace meaning forgiveness. Mercy, the healing that comes into your life after you have been forgiven. And peace, the result of having made peace with God. So that's a trilogy of words found in the Bible. Grace, mercy, and peace. But now, here we have, when it comes to the household, there's a trilogy of words. Can you say them with me? Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And he says, with these three, this is how a house is built. This is how houses house is built. Now, last week I told you that wisdom, hang on, we're going to read just two more verses, then we're going to be seated. But quickly, last week I shared with you that wisdom was the fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So let's just forget about the rest of wisdom and begin with the beginning. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And what's the fear of the Lord? It is the continual awareness that God is watching and weighing every one of your thoughts your words, your actions, and your attitudes. It doesn't mean to be walking around petrified of God. It's not talking about a phobia or a tormenting fear, but the fear of the Lord means to have reverential awe or respect. And it means I'm aware that God is watching and weighing in the scales of heaven every, time, every moment of my life, every thought, every word, every action, and every attitude. The Bible says, by the fear of the Lord, men and women depart from evil. So if, if, if a home wants to succeed, and I believe that all of us today want our homes, be they single or married homes, want to succeed. We want Jesus in the house. We want Jesus in the home. Then it begins by wisdom. Knowledge means the knowledge of God. When the Bible says by knowledge the rooms are filled, he's not talking about somebody who's got a lot of factual knowledge, somebody who would do good on jeopardy or at trivial pursuit. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a knowledge of God and his ways. Understanding God and his ways. Then he says, understanding. Understanding is knowing how to apply wisdom and knowledge to your life. That's what understanding is. Well, I see the wisdom and I see the knowledge. Now, how do I apply that to my life? That's understanding. And that's how a home is built. Now, men and women, look at verse five with me and let's see what he says to men. A wise man is strong, he's strong. And a man of knowledge increases in his strength. For by wise counsel or the counsel of wisdom, you will wage your own war. Men, every one of you in here today have your own wars. You've got your own fights, you've got your own battles, you've got your own issues. There's a war that you're having to deal with in your life that I'm not having to deal with in mine, and vice versa. But I want you to notice he says, a wise man. Only get stronger, and a man of knowledge will increase in strength, and by wisdom you will fight, sir, your own wars, and you will win. You will win your wars by wisdom, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for the Word of God that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you that it's going to feed our souls today. Thank you that it's going to edify us and strengthen us today. Thank you, Lord, that we're going to leave wiser, more knowledgeable, with more understanding to apply the principles of God to our life that we might have victory in our homes. Lord, I thank you for giving us eyes to see and ears to hear and opening our hearts with understanding. Now, would you pray with me and say, Lord, I receive your word today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you look wiser than when you first walked in. (laughs) Now, the reason I entitled this message today, Desperate Husbands, Desperate Men is because I really do believe that there is an underlying frustration and a certain level of desperation in men today because of a lack of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Now, I'm not talking about a man being bright, having a good IQ, being educated, being able to make a lot of money. Because I want you to notice that what we just read, the attributes, the characteristics, the, the qualities that build a home have nothing to do with money. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding are intangibles. They are within us. And with those things, a home is built. I believe that there is a lack of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding with men in our day in three basic areas. And I'm going to say them, and I want you to repeat them with me, if you would. Say, head trouble, which is leadership issues. Head trouble, leadership issues. Heart trouble, love issues and I trouble lust issues, issues. alright let's get into them now I chose these three these three issues why would I choose these because I see these things addressed by God in his word to men and I've learned this about the Word of God when he addresses something to a gender like wives uh, respect your husbands husbands love your wives the Word of God is doing that because there is an inherent weakness in the genders in those particular areas and so I see in the Word of God that God has addressed in his word these three things over and over again leadership issues love issues and lust issues now let's start out with heart trouble everybody say heart trouble with me love issues now I'm gonna read out of first Peter chapter 3 verse 7 and here is Peter, who was married, by the way. He was married because Jesus healed his mother-in-law in the Gospels. We know. So he was married. Now, Peter says to husbands, he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, he says, you husbands, dwell with your wives according to Knowledge. Now, there's that word, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. By those three, a house is built. Now, here comes Peter in the New Testament saying, dwell with your wives, husbands, according to knowledge, giving honor to the woman as to the weaker vessel, as being also joint heirs of the grace of life. She's going to heaven just like you. She's under the promises just like you. She's under the covenant just like you. God loves her just like you. She's going to be raptured just like you. And you're not getting up there quicker than she does. So he says, keep in mind that that woman living with you as your wife is a joint heir of the promises of God with you. And he says this, Peter tags that verse with this, that your prayers be not hindered. So watch this. There is, there is a link between the way a man treats his wife and his prayers being answered by God. That's how spiritually locked in a husband is to his wife and the wife to the husband. Listen, marriage is the only situation in life where one plus one equals one. One plus one equals one because two become one. And when they do, if the way you treat her is the way you treat yourself. The way you handle her is the way you handle yourself. The way you respect her is the way you respect yourself. If she's happy, you're happy. I'm going to tell you something, folks. There is something to the saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Because the fact of the matter is, if mama ain't happy, you got an unhappy house. There ain't any way around it. Now, he says, knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. I found something, live with her according to knowledge. I found something very interesting about this word I never knew. I looked up this word knowledge and it's not the kind of word, it's not the word you usually find found in the New Testament when the writers are talking about knowledge. But this knowledge, live with your wife according to knowledge, means to seek, to know. Or an investigation into something or wanting to understand something he's saying to the husbands husbands when you got married she became your study she became your concentration she became a person you are to study so that you can understand her and minister to her everybody who's been married in here over a week say amen with me because you know it's true that it's hard to understand the female gender well that's the heartiest amen I've had all day long well based on that amen just look at that that's evidence that he says I want you to make her your study I want you to study her, her likes, her dislikes, her hopes, her dreams, what turns her on, what turns her off, what lifts her heart, what weighs it down. When was the last time you sat your wife down and said, what's your dream? What what are your hopes? What are you thinking? What do you want to see happen in our family? Where do you want us to be five years from now, 10 years from now? When was the last time she became a focus like, say, your job? Live with them, Peter says, according to a quest, a seeking to know, and to understand her uniqueness. There is nobody like the woman that you married, and guess what? There isn't anybody like the man she married. If God could make every snowflake different, then God surely made every human being different. And the woman that you married, sir, there's no one else like her, and she is supposed to be your study. You're supposed to observe her, find out what she's like, find out what makes her tick, find out her love languages, find out the things that bless her, and then you are to do it. You are to minister to her. As Jesus loved the church, husbands love your wives. Now, the Jane Fawn is in the group, Let me just describe or explain the word weaker. As unto the weaker vessel. Giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel. What does that mean? He's only talking about physical strength. That's the only thing the word means. It is not talking about uh, morally weaker or ethically weaker or intellectually weaker. He's just saying physically weaker. The woman biologically is by and large physically weaker. That's just the way that God constructed us. And I'm glad for that. Being a man, there's something about me that kind of likes that. I like being the guy. And the Bible says, the Bible says that when you notice that she's physically weaker, it is at that point you are to show honor, honor, honor her. Don't despise her for it. There's an interesting little verse that Paul put in Colossians. He said, husbands love your wives and don't be bitter against them. Don't be bitter against them. Well, what is it about us that we get bitter at them? because they're not like us. And because they're not like us, it's easy for us to develop an attitude in the home that is not appreciative of that woman. And that's why I want to talk to you for a moment about honor, that five-letter word, honor. I want you to say it with me, can you? Honor. He says, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Now, what does honor mean when Peter says honor? Honor that woman. Show her honor in the home. It means to value. It means to esteem something or someone. Now, I'm going to tell you something that I've seen to be true. I believe this is totally true. I saw it before I was ever married. It's like God showed it to me, and I really don't know why. I saw it. And this is the truth. I believe that honor or lack of it is one of the key indicators of the survivability of a marriage. Honor or a lack of it is one of the key indicators of the survivability of a marriage you show me a marriage where the the two do not honor one another and i guarantee you the hourglass has already been turned upside down on that relationship and it will not make it it's only a matter of time because you've got to honor one another you've got to show respect to the person that you're with. You show me a husband who does not honor his wife, and I'll show you a relationship in trouble. You show me a wife that does not honor her husband, and I'll show you a relationship that is headed for trouble. Honor is so crucial because included in that one word, honor, are love, respect, gentleness, forgiveness, Long-suffering, the things that keep a marriage afloat are tied up in that one word, honor. Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown. He said, now why would that be? And I'm going to tell you why. Because familiarity ruins honor unless you make the decision that you're going to show honor by a choice. See, a husband is not without honor except in his own home. A wife is not without honor except in her own home. The home is the hardest place to show honor because it's in the home where we see everybody's mistakes, everybody's faults. We see them in all their glory. There's no pretense, no mask. We see them, and that's where it's hard to honor somebody. I love Billy Graham. I honor him. I've honored him for years and years. I might feel a little bit different if I lived with him. I don't think that I would, but but there would probably be some times that my decision to honor him would be challenged. And church, we've got to understand. Honor is not a feeling. Honor is a choice. You choose to honor your spouse. It is something you decide to do. It's easy to see If somebody is honored or not by the way they are acted toward. It's easier to see if somebody is honoring their spouse by the way they act. What we honor, we attach high value to. We handle it with care, respect, affection, and attention. What we honor, it's easy to see what somebody honors. If a crowd of rebels and anarchists are given the American flag, Rebels will throw it on the ground, stomp on it, burn it, and treat it with dishonor and disrespect. But if you've ever been to a military funeral, the opposite is true. At a military funeral, the American flag is treated as if every thread was made of pure gold. It's folded ever so carefully. If you've ever been to one, you ought to go to one just to see it because it drips the whole ceremony with honor honor. They'll take the American flag, two servicemen, and they begin to fold it. And they fold it ever so intricately and ever so beautifully over and over and over again. Sitting in front of them are the loved ones who who have lost a loved one, maybe a husband, maybe a wife, maybe a son or a daughter. And they'll fold this flag just delicately while all the other servicemen are standing at attention. They take this flag, once it's been folded and folded into a beautiful, tight little kind of triangle, and they'll walk over to the person who lost a loved one, the family that lost someone to the military. They'll get on their knees and hand it to them like they're handing them a pot of gold. Why does it matter? because it's honor because that flag represents the stars and stripes the united states of america and we honor our country and so we honor that flag and the whole way they handle it with such care with such love with such courtesy husbands love and honor your wives Oh, I knew it would be quiet in here today. Don't shout me down. We're going to have to edit all this clapping out. (laughs) Peter said giving honor to the wife. Giving honor is a choice. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but Pastor Jeff, I just don't feel it. And some of you wives are thinking it too. You're thinking, well, I just don't feel like giving him honor. It's just not something that I feel because I really don't honor them. Let me give you a little key. Feelings follow action. Now, the reason some of you don't feel honor towards your spouse is because you haven't treated them honorably. You begin to treat them honorably and your feelings will begin to change. They'll begin to alter. Your feelings will follow your actions. We as Christians don't follow feelings. We follow the word of God. We obey the scriptures. We do what God has told us to do in his word. So when he says, husbands, treat your wives with honor, whether or not you feel it, you do it. Whether or not it's an emotion that you feel, you still do it. And you'll notice that as you treat something with honor, then you'll begin to feel like you have something of value. And your feelings of honor will increase with your actions. Conversely, if you treat your spouse dishonorably, for instance, you know, this has always bothered me if I've been out in public and seen this, but you'll, you'll see sometimes a spouse make a joke about their spouse at their expense. And that's a dishonoring thing. That's just a dishonoring thing. It shouldn't happen. You know, here's a good acid test for the home. This is a good litmus test. Before you do it, stop and think to yourself, is this honoring or is this dishonoring? Am I doing something that is honoring to my spouse or is this dishonoring? If it's dishonoring, diss it. If it's dishonoring, diss it. Don't do it. Well, I got to let my emotions out somehow, Pastor. I'll tell you what you do go to the prayer closet, shut the door, and tell Jesus what you feel. He can handle it and it won't offend him, but your spouse can't. So get it all out in the prayer closet, then come out and do something honoring. Just do something honoring. And you'll find that emotions will follow honoring actions. Showing honor guards against bitterness and the damaging attitude of taking them for granted. Isn't it funny, men, when we're courting them, when we're dating them? I mean, we open that car door. We ask them if they're comfortable. We open the door for them at the restaurant. We insist on buying the meal. We're flowers every week, candy every other week. We're just doing all these. But after we're married, boy, you open that car door, either she's new or the car's new. (laughs) God wants us to honor one another. Hello, everybody. God wants us to honor. Listen, if honor... If just honoring one another can enter our home, don't say dishonorable things. Don't do dishonorable things. If honor, only honor, can enter the home, it'll change the house. It'll change the household. By wisdom, a house is built. By knowledge, the rooms are filled. By understanding, God builds a house with wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, not money and education. Although those things are good, and I'm all for them. But that's not, that is not the core of what builds a home. Now, the next thing about men, that men, I believe, deal in a level of desperation with is eye trouble or the lust issue. I want you to listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 28. But I tell you that if you look at another woman and want her, you are already unfaithful in your thoughts. Jesus knew something. And let me tell you what he knew. Jesus knew that men and women are hardwired differently. Can both genders say amen? amen? I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that God built inside men and women differently. Men are sight driven, while women are fundamentally emotion driven. Men are pragmatic, while women are romantic. Men marry women hoping they won't change. Women marry men hoping they will. (laughs) Women dream of romantic candlelight dinners with soft music playing in the background while the only time a man thinks of a candlelight dinner is when the power has failed. For a woman, the greatest day of her life is her wedding, about which she has dreamed since she was a little girl. The man, on the other hand, and believe me, I know because I've done a lot of weddings. The man, on the other hand, is shaking in his shiny black shoes and just wants to get it over with. There's a reason brides buy their wedding gowns and grooms rent their wedding suits. Women desire intimacy in the context of having been treated with love, talked to, listened to, and touched without ulterior motives. Men desire intimacy after a three-second look. All you men, look right up at me. One look at an attractive woman, and beneath the surface of cool, collected Clark Kent, a million bells sound out, hormones begin to surge, the heart rate accelerates, and Superman appears with a silly-looking grin on his face and stars in his eyes. (laughs) And you Christian gods, quit looking so holy. (laughs) I'm going to tell you something. This needs to be said. There's nothing at all wrong with a man noticing an attractive woman or vice versa. There is nothing wrong with that. God made us that way. When Jesus used the word lust, in the Greek language, it meant this, with intent to follow through if I get the chance. Intent to follow through if I get the chance. He was not talking about noticing someone attractive. He was talking about the intent to go into sin if the chance arises you can't help the first look but you can help the second third fourth and fifth and sixth and you get the picture there is a line that is crossed between noticing someone attractive and deciding to pursue and for men it doesn't have to be a flesh and blood human being Just seeing an attractive woman in a picture or a movie or a TV show can sow the seed of lust in him so that when the right situation presents itself in real life, he's in trouble. Guys, I want you to know something today. The devil never shows his full hand in the middle of temptation. He knows the power of sight to a man. So our whole culture is is wired for it, wired to take men down, wired to appeal to the eye. That's why it says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life are what comprise the world, what the world system is comprised of. The enemy knows how to get at us, and he is doing it in spades today. Please know that the enemy understands if you look and if you look and if you look and if you keep on looking and if you feed on it and feed on it and feed on it, one day the real situation in real life will present itself and you will be so immersed in a fantasy that is cultivated so long that now it's only a matter of the sin taking place. This is where we really live and we've got to get our understanding of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and the ways of God, and the Word of God on this subject, down. I got to think about something I read years ago in college. In Greek mythology, a little epic poem called The Odyssey, written by Homer, in Greek mythology, in The Odyssey, there were creatures called the sirens. These sirens had the the head of a woman and the body of a bird. And they lived on an island. And with the irresistible charm of their song, they lured sailors away from their right path to their destruction on the rocks surrounding the island. When Odysseus, who was the hero of the Odyssey, Odysseus, when his ship passed the sirens on their island, Odysseus had the sailors stuff their ears with wax. He had himself then tied to the mast of the ship, tied down, because he knew what was coming. He was preemptive in his fight against the song of the sirens. They tied him to the mast because he admitted, I want to hear their beautiful voices. They draw me. The sirens sang when they approached. Here comes the ship. Their words were even more enticing than the melody. Here's the promise. They would give knowledge to every man who came to them. Ripe wisdom and a quickening of the spirit. If only they would come to them and the song would fill the air. Odysseus' heart in the poem ran with longing, but the ropes held him to the mast, and though he gritted his teeth and fought and struggled, he had already preemptively protected himself from the song of the sirens, and soon the ship quickly sailed to safer waters. Listen to me, church, men and women, we live in a day where the sirens of lust lurk on every corner. They call to us from every computer screen, confront us from our televisions in our own living rooms, sing their song from our local movie theaters, and they smile and wink from the printed page at every grocery store checkout counter. God has an answer. You say, well, what is it? Because it's everywhere, and it is everywhere. But God has an answer. What's the answer? You've got to stuff your ears with the honey of the Word of God you got to stuff your ears with the honey of the Word of God. And you got to do it preemptively. You have to make up your mind today. You've got to make up your mind in the now you got to do it right now. I know that the song of the siren of lust is going to come my way. It may come masqueraded in a relationship that I think is a love relationship. It may come masqueraded as an angel of light. However it chooses to present itself, I know living in this country, living in this world, the song of the siren of lust is going to approach me. If ever so methodically and ever so carefully disguised, it's still going to come. How am I going to handle it. Here's what you do. You make up your mind just like Odysseus did with his men. And you stuff your ears with the honey of the Word of God. David the psalmist said, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? He said, by taking heed thereto according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you, Lord. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. You've got to preemptively fill your mind and fill your heart not just on a Sunday, not just what Pastor Jeff preached on Sunday morning, but you ought to Monday morning get up and say today the song of the siren is going to be all around me i'm stuffing my ears with the word of god i'm filling my heart with the scriptures i'm not going down with the rest of this culture i'm going to be more than a conqueror through him that loved me you stuff your ears with the honey of god's word and you tie yourself daily to the mast of grace You say, God, It's stronger than me, it's bigger than me, but it's not bigger than you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And even though I am in a world filled with temptation, I am not going to succumb to the temptation because I have one who never sinned, living inside of me, and he is my rock. He is my salvation. He is the one who brought me up out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay. He's my captain. He's my savior. He's my hero. And I'm going to cling to the mast of grace. Now having done those things, you learn to walk away. Now listen carefully to me. So much of your future depends on what you can walk away from. Moses walked away from Egypt and identified with the people of God and became the great deliverer of the Hebrew people because he walked away. Joseph ran away from Potiphar's wife and became second only to Pharaoh because of what he was able to walk away from. So much of what becomes of us hinges on what we walk away from. What are you needing to walk away from today that you know that if you don't walk away, you're going to regret it two years from now? God's already told you about it. If there's something like that in your life, he's already been dealing with you about it. He's already spoken to you about it. He's probably taken sleep away from you and peace away from you and some joy away from you and trying to reach you from 10 different directions. If he's telling you to walk away from something, he is faithful, who called you, who also will do it. No temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able to endure, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. But you're going to have to walk away. See, you can't walk toward him unless you walk away from that. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus said, follow me. But to follow him, they had to walk away from the nets, walk away from the fishing, walk away from the homes, walk away from attachments. So much of it depends on what you can walk away from. What do you need to walk away from? Let me me just say something to you. Can I just, and I'm really, as a preacher, as a minister, I'm beseeching you. And you listening by radio, listen to me. Whatever you think is worth your staying in, if God is calling you out, it's a lie. And you will see it, I hope, on the other side of a victory instead of the other side of huge regret. If God's dealing with you to walk away from something, then do it today, 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 do it. He can be trusted. If it's a drug, if it's a person, walk away. Just walk away. The siren of lust cannot be debated with. You will not successfully argue with the siren of lust or successfully defeat it unless you walk away. Lust backs off when you walk away. If you stay and you don't walk away, you're going to fall. Not me, Pastor Jeff. I'm full of the Word of God. I'm stronger than that. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you are not. You will fall. If you think you can defeat it while remaining in its presence, you are sadly mistaken. You won't. You'll fall. The Bible says flee sexual sin. Do you know, I found out that that word flee in the Greek language means fugo. That's the word, fugo. And we get fugitive from that word. Fugitive. I think of Richard Kimball and the fugitive. And every time I think of him, all I can remember is Richard Kimball running from that detective that was always after him. And every time that detective thought he had him, there goes the fugitive running. And he just, just escape his grasp time and again. That's the picture of how God wants us to be with the siren of lust. Let's just say there was three or four of those sirens talking to their master, the devil. The devil said, well, what about so-and-so and so-and-so and -and and -and so-and-so? Bill and Bob and Sue and Jane, what about them? You know, master, every time we get close, they run. Every time we think we've got them cornered, They run. They're just so slippery. We can't seem to get them just to sit still and listen to us. Even for 30 seconds, they run. Frankly, Master, they're fugitives. They're fugitives. Fugitives from lust. Fugitives from lust. They run every time. Be a fugitive from sexual immorality. Come on, everybody. <laughs> amen. So in the same way a fugitive runs for his life from the police, we're to run for our lives from the siren of lust. Now let me just deal with one last thing very quickly, the leadership issue. Breathe deep, guys, and say, one more, here we go. It's all right, Pastor Jeff, I can take it. This is good stuff. Come on, everybody. We all need this. We all need this. headship trouble, leadership issues. The man is God's appointed leader of the home. Did you know that? Now, Jane Fonda in here, don't Don't get mad when I say that the man is called to be the leader of the home, because if he leads the home the way he's supposed to, there's not a woman in the world who would not want to follow, who would not want to be with him. If he does it the way the Bible says, there is a way to submit and there is a way not to. A couple was celebrating their golden wedding anniversary. Their domestic tranquility had long been the talk of the whole town. So a local newspaper reporter was inquiring as to the secret of their long and happy marriage. Well, it dates back to our honeymoon, explained the husband. We visited the Grand Canyon and took a trip down to the bottom of the canyon by pack mule. We hadn't gone too far when my wife's mule stumbled. My wife quietly said two words, that's once. We proceeded a little further when the mule stumbled again. Once more, my wife quietly said, that's twice. We hadn't gone a half mile when the mule stumbled a third time. My wife promptly removed a revolver from her purse and shot the mule. I started to protest over her treatment of the mule when she looked at me and quietly said, that's once. (laughs) So I've been submitted ever since. Is that the way it's supposed to be? No, no. No, no, no. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul said. And this is out of the Message Bible. It just put it so well. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. That's the key. That's the key to any true submission. Understand and support your husband in ways that show your support for Christ. So when I submit, it's a dual submission. I'm submitting to a contrary boss or to a police officer or whatever because invested in that person is a position that God gave them. So when I submit to them, I'm doing it as unto the Lord. And if I can do it, if it's to Jesus, I can do it all day long. And so he's saying to the wife, show your support for Christ by how you submit to your husband. Now, let's continue. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. Now, when I got to think about this verse, because I know Paul gets a bad rap all over the Western world because he used the six-letter word submit to women. But there's a mutual submission here. It's not just the woman to the man. But he says, I, I got to think back. What made me follow Jesus when I was 18 years old? What made me decide to give Jesus my life and I have followed him ever since and I love him? I love him. I'll tell you what did it. He loved me. It says we love him because he first took the initiative, made the overture, started the courtship. He first loved us. And he poured his love in my heart by the Holy Ghost. He was patient with me, kind with me, long-suffering with me, believed in me, called me, took care of me, provided for me. All those things wrapped up in the word love, he did. And when I experienced that love, I wanted to follow him. he says to the husbands just like jesus does the church you lead her so it's not the tyranny of religion bless god i've got a blank check from paul to tell you what to do when to jump when not to jump so get me this get me that i want breakfast i want lunch Reminds me of the wife who had learned the game. She said to her husband one morning, she said, honey, you get the juice and the fruit and I'll make breakfast. He said, good deal, praise the Lord. He got the fruit and he got the juice. He said, what's for breakfast? She said, fruit and juice. (laughs) My wife was sitting there in the first service and I said, you've done that. She said, I have. I, I fess up. I've done it. But here's the deal. Guys, The Lord has not called us to dominate. He's called us to lead. There is a difference. There is a huge difference between coercion and leadership. You don't coerce through fear. You lead by love. I'm going to say that again. You don't coerce by fear. You don't lead somebody by coercion through fear. You lead your wife by love and that's how you lead. And if you treat her the way Jesus treats people, any woman would be insane to not stay around that. I I was listening to a preacher the other day. He said something so overwhelmingly powerful to me. I don't even know who he was. But he said, when I met my wife, he said, "We, we dated a little bit. And then he said, knowing that I was called and so on and so forth, he said, I began to realize that I was falling in love with her. So, He said, I told her, I love you. And the very next time I was with her, I proposed. Because I would never say to a woman I loved her if I wasn't ready to marry her. And he said, I told her, I want you to be my wife. And if you do, every other person in the building that we preach in will think I hate them. Because I will be so focused on you. I want to serve you. I want to bless you. I want to minister to you. I want you to be my princess. (laughs) But I got to tell you something. That guy was on. Because that's what every woman wants. And if they get it, They're fools to not submit to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So here we have it. Heart trouble, eye trouble, headship trouble. But God has an answer for every one of them. Now, guys, I'm going to tell you, I'd be a liar if I didn't tell you I'm the chief of sinners and not doing some of these things. But God has been good to me and given me time, and I'm learning just like you. But I know what I've shared with you is the truth. And, And He says, By wisdom a house is built. By wisdom a house is built. And this is some of it. So, guys, just begin, just begin, just begin. You don't have to do it all. Just begin. Get to first base. Just start running to first. Just swing. And God will bless your efforts. And here's what Peter said. Your prayers will not be hindered. So can we stand together today? Well, how many of you in here can say, well, oh me, but amen we're all learning, aren't we? We're just learning. We all stumble in many ways, and we're all learning. But my heart is for God to bless the homes, and I believe He's going to do it. So can we, if you have your spouse with you today, would you just take their hand right now? And if you're a single here today, listen, God wants to bless your home. And many of the things I share today would apply to any single life Let's go ahead and just pray and say with me, Lord, today, I know that a house is built by wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Help me through understanding to apply the wisdom and knowledge I've heard from your scriptures today. In Jesus' name, thank you. And take a minute if you want to pray. I think some of you spouses in here today, some of you couples, ought to just maybe you need to pray together about something for just a moment. So we're going to worship. If you need if you've thought of something and you need to pray about it or maybe ask forgiveness for. Nobody's looking, just lean lean in and say, I'm sorry, I forgive me. You know, I've you know the pastor said he's chief of sinners in this, so I can admit it too. And so do it while we worship, and then we're gonna dismiss. After two crucial announcements. Go ahead, Steve. Keep me true, Lord Jesus. Keep me true. needed this today. Can you give the Lord a hand of praise? Amen. Amen. Praise God. We're going to be talking about desperate housewives, desperate women.